From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Hi, this is Vern Jewett, and welcome to the Holiness Podcast. It's good to be with you again this month, and I hope you have your Bible close by because we're going to be doing a Bible study in the Old Testament. And I would encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you have your Bible handy. In recent days, I've encountered several people who have mentioned to me that they listen to the podcast and uh, particularly enjoy uh, opening their Bible and following along. So we'll be in 1 Samuel 16. Now, last month, we introduced, uh, uh, maybe not introduced to you, uh, but we talked about the theological term uh, prevenient or enabling grace. And that's really one part of a two-part series because uh, John Wesley's theological contribution included uh, seeing grace in stages And uh, some have three stages, some have four, but he definitely saw that prevenient grace led to justifying grace, which then led to sanctifying grace. And so we're going to follow up last month's lesson on prevenient or enabling grace with a lesson on sanctifying grace, which fits right into our desire to understand what sanctification and holiness means. And we'll do that next month. I'm still putting that together. So this month, I would like to uh, encourage and affirm you by looking at one of the most interesting aspects of uh, the Holy Spirit and how he deals with us as he uh, lives within us. Maybe you watched part of the coronation of King Charles recently. I happened to be in a in an airplane flying across the Atlantic Ocean, so I did not see any of the coronation. However, there was only one part of that ceremony that was not and never has been witnessed by guests or uh, has it been on television. That is the anointing by the Archbishop of Canterbury of the new king. That took place just before the public coronation behind a screen in private. And the Archbishop of Canterbury poured holy oil, which had been blessed in Jerusalem, onto the coronation spoon, which hadn't been used in almost 70 years, and anointed the new King Charles, by placing oil onto his hands, his chest, and his head. The anointing symbolized the spiritual status of the sovereign because the king or queen historically is the head of the Church of England. Well, anointing is one of the many 
pictures or types of the work of the Holy Spirit, which we find in the New Testament, it can help us understand the purpose of God's Spirit and the way that he works in our lives. In Old Testament times, the high priest would anoint the priests of Israel with oil. He would anoint their head, their earlobes, their fingers, and their toes. This consecrated or set apart or set aside this priest as a holy person committed to the service of God. In the same way, and you picked up on the idea of being set apart, which is the root meaning of holy or sanctify. In the same way, the anointing of God's Spirit is a sign or symbol of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in 1 Samuel, we're going to read a portion of the story of Samuel anointing David. So I'd like to read the first verse, and then we're going to skip down and read verses 6 to 14. Okay, first verse of uh, 1 Samuel 16 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel is sent on his way. Now the reality is there's been no public coronation, and it is simply a matter between God and Samuel, and soon will be a matter between God, Samuel, and David, known only by his family, Uh, as well, that he will be anointed as king. And so let's go down to verse 6 and read that story briefly. It's a wonderful story. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, that's the oldest son of uh, Jesse, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, 
the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. And I want us to look at verse 14 as well. It's a big part of this story. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So in those last two verses, you see the Spirit of the Lord came upon David as he was anointed, and the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. I'd like us to focus on three lessons from this passage. The first is that the anointing of God is a divine prerogative. It is God's choice. He anoints with the Holy Spirit. That was certainly true of Saul in 1 Samuel 10.1. The first king who was anointed, Samuel had to say to Saul, Has not the Lord anointed you in a time of rebuke? Wonderfully, it was true of Jesus. You may remember in Acts, the 10th chapter, when Peter was sent to a Cornelius' house. And Cornelius welcomed him and explained that he had been told by God uh, in a vision that Peter was going to come. And then he said, we're ready for whatever you want to tell us. And what Peter then chose to tell them included, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know, this is that amazing time when the Gentiles are going to be included into the church. And verse 38 of chapter 10, Peter says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So God anoints. That's shocking, but not as shocking even in David's case as it is when you and I stop and consider that God has chosen us and anointed us. Now, I wanted to read the story from 1 Samuel because uh, there's that famous verse, God looks on the heart while man looks on the outward appearance. But isn't that the mistake of the world, of our world? If we look face-to-face at the prejudice of the culture in which we live, we'll see that we look on the outward appearance. And the pressure to do that is simply amazing. We ascribe worth in our culture to the strong and to the beautiful and to the outward appearance. Look at our heroes. Just watch television. There are many ways in which we worship at the altar of the outward appearance. We've all heard the phrase, uh, tall, dark, and handsome. Well, that's never resonated real well with me. I'm kind of short shot and shapeless. But the truth is, God chooses to anoint us because he chooses us. And as he anointed David in the pasture land of Bethlehem by the hand of his servant Samuel, he is saying to all of us, there is a higher law. 
the great preacher Joseph Parker in the People's Temple in London said this, There's a law which takes us clear out of the realm of appearances. All men have not Eliab's kingliness of image and majesty of bearing. There are dwarfs, cripples, deformed men, men whose figure is against them, whose outward appearance may lead people to form the most erroneous conclusions regarding the quality and temper of their souls. So we come for our relief and teaching to this higher law which says, Look not on his appearance. The Lord seeth not as man seeth. Man looketh on the outward appearance. Paul looketh on the heart. You remember Paul writing to the Corinthians talked about God's scandalous choice and applied it near the end of chapter 1 to them. After saying, I have chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I have chosen the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. He then confronts them with God has chosen you. Do you meet these characteristics, these qualifications? And then Jesus' words, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Friends, you and I have been anointed. Just as David was anointed. And God has set us apart for his service. Now, that anointing is not only a divine prerogative, extended to everyone who has faith and believes. But it's a signifying mark. When we start talking about the marks of Jesus, we seek the scriptures to understand what they look like. You remember that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. But think about the picture. At that particular moment, Saul was still a man of stature. He had the crown. He had the physique, the military experience. He carried the scepter. He wore the signet ring. He led the armies. He lived in the palace. He had the wealth. David, on the other hand, had only the anointing. But because it brought with it the presence and gift of the Spirit, David was king. Talk about the futility of outward appearance. Well, in many ways, nothing is different today. We must recognize in ourselves and others the marks that signify God's presence, the presence of his Holy Spirit. And consistently in the New Testament, we are pointed to the fruit of the Spirit. And you remember Jesus saying, by their fruit shall you know them. Now, there's some help here from the Old Testament. From Exodus chapter 30, the anointing oil is described. It was a special formula, a recipe of olive oil and several different spices, including myrrh and cinnamon and cassia, which was a healing herb. 
And if you read those verses, Exodus 30, verses 30 to 33, you'll find that the anointing oil is not to be counterfeited and is not to be used for anything else. Now, as we saw in the example of Saul, and as we know looking in the world around us, there are many glaring, inviting counterfeits, and we must not be deceived. Again, the question for us is what kind of marks do we pay attention to today? There are doctrines which are compelling but are false doctrines always bringing with them the idea that this is something new. There's intellectual brilliance. There's eloquence and passion, strength. We admire administrative genius, even something that evangelical Christians have always held dear in the United States. The work ethic can become a counterfeit mark the sweat of the brow, and what it can produce is not a substitute for the filling and anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm going to turn in my Bible here to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 21 and 22, which is the area, the verses that I spoke about earlier, I want to read them and then make a couple of comments. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And we're back to the reality that we encounter so often in our studies. And that is that living for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be counter-cultural. You notice in those verses that he establishes, he anoints, and other verses, actually this is uh, could be another sermon, <laughs> He establishes, he anoints, he seals, he guarantees. I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives. We are anointed by the Holy Spirit. Holiness manifests itself in Christ-likeness. When we are like Jesus, we show the mark of the Holy Spirit. I love the little chorus, and I use it often when I have the chance to lead, that uh, goes like this. I would that others might see the marks of Jesus in me, for they will not believe if they do not perceive the marks of Jesus in me. Well, the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, are signifying marks. So when the Holy Spirit anoints us, it's God choosing us, a divine prerogative, 
and it's a signifying mark, we are stamped with the mark of Jesus in our lives. And the third lesson or observation speaks to the power that that can bring into our lives. It is a cleansing reality. This anointing is the privilege of the humblest believer and of the most unworthy sinner that's willing to receive Jesus and have the Holy Spirit come into their lives by their faith in Jesus. In the Old Testament, there's no beautiful story of anointing than in Leviticus 14, where the story of the lepers being cleansed is told. You probably know the realities of being a leper in that time and in that culture. They were outcast, unworthy, sinful, assumed to be sinful. But in Leviticus 14, they can be brought unto the priest in their helplessness and misery. And the priest would then touch them with the blood. That's the blood of the guilt offering. Then wash them with water. They would disrobe and be cleansed. And then the leper would be clothed upon in the garment of holiness. The blood of the oil touched the tip of his ear, his thumb, his foot. And he too became an anointed one. It happened at the closing of day, at dusk. Now there were meanings attached to each of those touches. To touch the earlobe represented the power of receiving or apprehension from the Lord. Touching the thumb represented appropriating faith and serving the Lord. The touch upon the toe of the foot represented the steps and his ways which now would be ordered by the Lord. All of those were dedicated to God and cleansed by his Holy Spirit for God's use. Notice that the oil didn't come first, but the blood. Then the oil is placed upon the blood. That Old Testament picture gives us a good lesson in the New Testament as well. The Holy Ghost comes only to those who have received Jesus And there's no spiritual power apart from the cross and the shedding of Jesus' blood, who became our Savior. So the blood comes first. However, dear friends, we need the oil as much as we need the blood. Our ears, our hands, our feet must be divinely quickened and possessed and filled before we can rightly hear and understand and from God rightly appropriate the things we know, rightly serve him and walk in his holy ways. I chose this 
teaching this month because I don't think we can spend too much time learning about the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you some questions. Are you lonely? Are you seeking God's presence? Well, one of the answers to that question in the New Testament is the answer the Holy Spirit gives. I am the one who fellowships with you. I've been speaking a lot lately about the reality that we are never alone because God's Spirit lives in us. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 is a benediction, but what a truth it has built into it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. That's it. The Holy Spirit is the one who communes, who fellowships with you and with me. We're never alone. Perhaps you're wandering or confused and you need guidance or direction. Well, the Holy Spirit is the only teacher of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 2, a little later than the verses that I read earlier, it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I'm thankful always in the setting of believers as a group as they open their Bibles when it is mentioned right from the beginning that the Holy Spirit is the teacher, not the one who is standing in front and speaking. Or perhaps you're facing difficult circumstances and suffering, even suffering. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us. He came alongside even Stephen to endure his suffering. He is present in our lives. We must ask him to come and lead us and direct us. So Christ was called the Anointed One. That is the meaning of Messiah, which is the meaning of, uh, of the Greek word Christos, taken from the Old Testament, Mesha, which means Messiah. So at the heart of the gospel story, Christ is the anointed one. And you and I, as Christians, are followers of the anointed one. Are the marks of Jesus evident in our lives? You see, because the truth about being anointed is that God has chosen us. He has placed the marks of Jesus, the signifying marks, by his presence and by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which should signify our lives to those around us, and by the cleansing reality. which means that you and I are ready for God's use. The question I ask myself and you today is, 
We have been anointed by the anointed one. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Are we ready for God to use us? I trust that this has been an encouragement to you. Let's just have a word of prayer as we bring our uh, study to a close this month. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the way that it speaks to our hearts. We thank you that you have loved us, chosen us, and anointed us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to have a daily awareness that we are not alone. I pray that you will help us to seek to be like Jesus so that the marks, the signs of belonging to you are evident in our lives. And we thank you and praise you for your continual cleansing in our hearts. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and have become your children. But your word teaches us that that cleansing is an ongoing way of living. Make these truths so clear to us that we keep them in our consciousness and then give us the strength to seek you first in all things in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I hope this has been an encouragement to you. It's always great to be with you and to open God's word. And we'll look forward to being with you next month. And I've gotten in the habit of saying, until then, this is Vern Jewett signing off. May the Lord bless you. Thanks so much for listening. And we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts.